Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So Dr. Karuna Ramanathan, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So happy to have you on today. Where, where in the world are you at today? Yeah, yeah. From good morning from Singapore. It's five a.m. in the morning. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, we're almost twelve hours difference, and I'm on the East Coast. It's yeah. around uh, what is it, four o'clock here, and you're at five a.m. So thank you for getting up and coming on this early. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Matt. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. And, and my distinct uh, naval background still mm-hmm. has habituated me into an early riser. So I'm like tossing and turning in bed at four in the morning, so, so <laughs> doing something useful for a change today. I- I love it. I, I love it. I love it. So you have a PhD in leadership. You talk a lot about transformational leadership, especially in organizations. And then you also have a book out uh, that's called Navigating the Seas of Change, which is about, about leadership. Um, and you consult with a lot of companies about transformational leadership. And, you know, as we read in the news every day, if you read either social media or the news, it seems like every day that there's just lots of change in business, right? Lots of change in leadership and the way we look at leadership, businesses. I mean, I, I don't know if you read about Elon Musk there, but it seems like everything here in the States is Elon Musk this, Elon Musk that. And every day, you know, people are commenting on his leadership style and what he's doing. I don't know if they call it Xing now instead of tweeting. I don't even really know now that he bought that. But when you look at companies and, and really think about transformational change, I guess, typically, why do companies bring you in to work with them? Uh, it's a great start question. If we trace this back uh, somewhere about 10 years ago, maybe 2012, 2013, 2014, uh, the potency for digital transformation became clearer to many companies. And, and this was on the back of e-commerce and it was on the back of gains made by scaling internet technologies, the uh, IOTs, the whole lot started framing up. And so many progressive organizations around the world had already started with some kind of digital agenda and the digital agenda was going to set them up in a growth path and some went at it faster, some went at it a little bit more progressively, but notwithstanding that, we had to then suddenly deal with the pandemic and that pandemic gave a second step of disruptive change uh, to a lot of organizations and that's where we went from, I believe, went from planned change, the digital transformation is generally planned change. Mm-hmm. forced change, so getting on home in Zoom and not coming to work and having hybrid modalities, kind of uh, disrupted workforces all around the world. I just came off, I just this morning when I got up, I think I had a little blurb on my phone that said American, uh, it was a uh, Wall Street Journal article that Americans are among the unhappiest workers in the world. Oh, wow. uh, so yeah, it's something that just came out today and it's no different from Singapore. Singapore is probably the highest a uh, number of mental health challenge cases in, in today in our workforce. So that's the second. So the first is the digital transformation, more planned change. Mm-hmm. The second is forced change brought about by the pandemic to almost all organizations, big and small. Mm-hmm. And the third uh, is there's this creepy little, creeping little problem that seems to be a, a rather stereotypical depiction of the millennials and their behaviors and their attitudes all around the world that is actually causing HR people some level of grief and causing managers some level of grief. And it needs to be unpacked a little because they are really, really potentially great people to have in organization. 
and that in whole innovation and creativity base. So there's a lot of disruption going on that in organizations. And I get to answer your question. I get asked at some stage as to whether I'm prepared to get in there and work on the system rather than in the system. Because in our work in transformation and change, there are limitations to people doing this from within the system with all the problems associated with their career advancements and the risks that they'll have to take and the relationships that they will potentially break. So consultants like us, unlike management consultants who provide solutions, we provide movement. We help the organization by doing a lot of behavioral work in terms of how leaders and managers could actually activate certain parts of that and workspaces for which they never knew existed. A lot of this is also a collaborative work. So it does sit a little bit in the traditional areas of organizational development, but it, I believe it's not quite the same anymore. It is a straddle between organizational development, leadership development, and knowledge management. Mm -hmm. And do you use uh, certain touchstones or certain a certain protocol when you go in to work with companies? It's kind of like process change where um, you're looking at, okay, we're going to have to address this and then this and then this and then this to get this initiative to work or to navigate this change. Or, I mean, what kind of frameworks are you using when you work with companies? Uh, there are a couple of things uh, consultants would do, and, and, and some of these are quite well known, but in the traditional organizational development field, there is being uh, crying calls for people diagnosis from the word go. I disagree. I think that no organization is going to be transforming successfully until and unless there is some level of strategic clarity mm -hmm. as to where they need to go in the next at least two to three years, no longer five or 10 years and stupid or. Right. Uh, so two to three years is a given. Now, here's where the problem is. The, at this first frame, the more difficult or ambitious the transformation or needy the transformation, uh, I mean, your board could ask you to do it, or you could have shareholders, or you could have expectations from government, whatever the case might be. The more complex that ask, the greater the need for a collective. So that collective is a bunch of meters right on top where he hold important but powerful positions for resourcing and trade-offs that don't jam work downstream, covertly in most cases and unintentionally in some. So one of the first things we do is we assess the collective consciousness of the leadership group in deciding whether this is a direction that we could or the organization take together. And yeah, I make the distinction between agreeing on something and accepting it. Mm -hmm. I mean, agreeing, we all nod our heads, but accepting is like we go away and say, nah, that's not going to work. Let's just let them fall off the cliff, you know? So that's the first frame. That's mm -hmm. the first year, maybe year and a half. We set up some probes. We get some people working on some projects. We ask whether people can actually work on projects, whether you feel safe enough to work on projects, but there's imagination in projects. And very often that would fail. I would fail with some important lessons. I'm working with a client right now where we just, I'm just meeting the CEO and see, I'm just going to tell her that. For two years has been fun, but this is not the way we're going to do this. Uh, we're actually going to have to now get into the middle of the organization. And this is the second frame of it that calls for execution success. Now, the problem with execution is it moves the focus away from the top leaders into the managers. And this is all around the world. This is the one claim as to managers versus change. Uh, again, I disagree. Managers fear uncomfortable change and the level of discomfort is largely a case of confusion and anxieties that build up on that because mm -hmm. these are people who have limited time in real lives like they do. I mean, we have to go back home in the evening to the kid. 
forget the demographics everywhere. And managers like me clear and focus for what they are asked to do and in change work. That is rather difficult when you actually have bold, ambitious, predetermined outcomes. And you know what, Matt? KPI, KPI is the most destabilizing word in change work because it's social and certain and complex, right? Mm -hmm. So we have that frame and that takes up two, three years and that needs to be measured. It needs to be pulled together coherently and that's quite a bit of work that needs to happen. So that's the second frame. I would say two to four years in your transformation, this is where an organization needs to be. And then maybe as we get into the more mature stages, then you do a lot of people development stuff and you do a lot of enabling stuff and you liberate people and you build their interim skills and you give them new skills and abilities after you build the awareness and sensibility. So all in our projects, uh, my more successful ones have taken me five, six years. I've had clients who've actually five, six years. Uh, and you have an internal consultant simply nudging the system at different places. Uh, what you don't do with the middle managers is you don't down their time and you don't drive them to classes to see leaders or talent. So there's quite a bit of deviations from, from mm. how we typically things. <laughs> right. And so this is long-term, long-term change, yeah. right? This is, you're, you're, you're changing probably some culture, but definitely how the organization functions, how it works. This is like a strategic change versus just, Hey, we're going to come in and this company's got some issues and we're going to spend two or three months trying to help them communicate better. This is more like organizational transformation. Yeah. The words I normally use in some of the other podcasts, I think every listeners might find this useful is we're so used to the pace of change, uh, Mm -hmm. because get this done. You know, this is what we do. We build timelines. We mm-hmm. kind of get critical parts. We do other project planning, agile, whatever the case might be. But our consultants like us support organizations with the flow change, which means we kind of untrace people to the best of their abilities and help them move, make choices to move into spaces that they gradually feel safer about. It's very accelerating when you see that happen. I mean, it's amazing when people actually say, I can do this, but I'm going to need this help. Who's going to help me? It's far better than why do I need to do this? Right. Yeah, certainly. And so I guess, what do you see as some of the companies, if they embrace this new, in a way, I think a new way of being as a, as individuals, but then also as organizations, right? So it's individual change and organizational change. You can't have one without the other. I wouldn't think to your point, you're measuring the consciousness of a leadership group. That would not have been a term used a decade ago, I would not have thought of, or even, you know, or even maybe five years ago saying, oh, we're going to measure the consciousness level of the leadership. It would have been like, oh, okay, we're going to see, you know, who's a good leader and who's not, or who's a good manager and who's not, but it wouldn't be a collective consciousness thing. And so as you're kind of working with these companies, I guess, what are some wins and what are some fails that you see generally when organizations attempt this type of change? Our experience has been generally leaders overuse their power and they overestimate their knowledge. Managers underestimate their influence and underuse their knowledge. Mm. We are in a bit of a conundrum here because really we're going to have to stem that a little bit. If they mm-hmm. overuse, if overplay, go get this done. And it's very easy to see that. Stresses affect managers and and you're looking at the mental health of an organization. It's not the people at the bottom. The 60% uh, manage to come to work, get things done. There are standard operating procedures. There are protocols. There are my timesheets. There are all that. Right. Everything is fairly regulated. It's the 40% above there. 
uh, and these other middle manager groups, uh, the project managers, the team leaders, the senior leaders, uh, people who actually make decisions on a day-to-day basis without uh, increasingly without steady reference. And this group actually uh, is caught in this little overestimation, underestimation team. And anything that has generally transformative or change related is going to only benefit from data, information, knowledge, or wisdom. And if that doesn't flow or it's not allowed to flow, you're not going to get very far from an internal position. Of course, there are organizations that would break and build and buy and acquire and all that. But generally, most organizations seek to move from within. And so that's really one major observation, overuse of power and over-assumptions of knowledge and the under, underplay or the influence and the underestimation of knowledge and information that managers hold. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. And that makes complete sense when you think about it. People making decisions without enough information are going to make bad decisions. That's just, yeah. right? It's like if they, if you're, not, <laughs> if you're not listening to the people who are on the front lines, then, it, you know, I experienced some of that. I had a an unplanned hospital stay here a couple or two weeks sorry ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. yeah, it was an appendix. Uh, my appendix apparently was about rate of rupture. And so they had to take that out. And that was very uh, surprising to me um, because I didn't, you know, it just was like, boom, okay, here we go. But I noticed as I went through that hospital system, I noticed the disconnect between, it was very evident. I spent about 30 hours in the hospital from start to finish. And I noticed very clearly the disconnect between the people working in the system and, and even the doctors, like the surgeon, the doctors, the nurses, the CNAs, all along the way, I noticed the disconnection between what they know to be best and what the system was making them do. The administrative system of the hospital, I will say, was horrible. The system itself was horrible, but the people working within the system were wonderful, right? They were on basic. I mean, they were over the top. Every level of care that I was given in that 30 hour stay the people were apologizing for the breakdown of the system. It was like, literally, I had a surgeon come in and say, I apologize. I know this is taking way longer than it should. We only have one OR for this type of procedure out of 37 ORs. We only have one that we can do your procedure in. And you could just tell that the people working in the system knew what was wrong. They knew what the fix was. But yet, I'm sure no, none of them felt like they had enough control to actually make change. You know, they were just working within a system and it's a smaller community. So there's not a lot of, if they're going to work for a hospital, they have to pretty much work for this hospital system, but they aren't empowered enough to either feel safe enough to move it, those messages up the chain, or when they move it up the chain, there's just nothing that happens. Right. So you could just tell, I have a healthcare background and you know, from development, but you could just tell that there was a definite breakdown where information is not flowing up, or if it is, there you go. Nothing's happening once it flows up, right? So it just falls on deaf ears because administration's like, eh, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Isn't that amazing as an example of still how people feel committed and and important in their jobs to make a yes. difference to other people? And, mm-hmm. and I mean, with the medical profession, mm-hmm. that is very well rooted all around the world. But in particular, knowing that they see value in the work they do, despite the limited results that the system mm-hmm. offers them, so, yeah. it's just amazing how stealing the will of the human spirit. And that's the other thing that's coming out. So I get my energy mm-hmm. out of working with teams and leaders who actually believe in these things a little, mm-hmm. as opposed to want to just get things done. And that's been a bit of an issue here for me over the last one, two years as I'm maturing to this phase. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, look, I'm 59. I'm making some choices as well and balancing some time. Some of my golf buddies have left me long, long time ago. And they said, this guy is totally unreliable. I mean, it's schedule, right? So, so it, it's a real joy to find places, organizations where you have big minded leaders and managers who are prepared to bring value to the work besides just chasing results. So like I said, in my workshops and my sessions, I have a huge problem with KPIs. I need to sit down and some time at the end of this year or early next year and unpack that whole logic because it's really stifling and it's causing behaviors that kind of like clouders. Yeah, like I would say like they're the capture act of transformation. I might probably think mm-hmm. that how to say that nicely, but it's like right. It pulls it down. It, it stops us from focusing on the real work and it gets us to do the work, which in this case is make sure the hostel runs in a degraded state because it's probably the best way to do things in any other because we're not going to spend the money to change it since we're not listening to anyone. So that's really where this is being. Right. Yes, totally. Yeah. And I think to your point, when we kind of started this conversation, I, you know, I think this is happening a lot just with all of the, right, all of the change and all of the, that was in a way you could say forced on, but the business environment, the people environment, the social environment, it all has shifted. And so it's almost like, I won't even say playing catch up because I don't think it stopped shifting, but I, you know, getting comfortable with change and learning how to process change is probably the most important thing we can do individually and collectively because it's not stopping, right? It's not like, oh, here's, we're back to normal. There is no, there's no back, there's no back to anything. And I still don't think that we've stabilized enough to, in any way, shape or form to say, oh, okay, well, this is how things are going to work now. It seems like that, that this is potentially just, it's going to continue to evolve like a technology, like any science, it, it's accelerating. It's not, it's not, we're, we're going to have to get really comfortable with knowing how to transition change versus, oh, okay, we're going to change enough so that this is the new normal. It's like, well. Is there a new normal? (laughs) No, no, it is the real normal because what is happening, we go back to the three points. The first one that you started off the uh, very nicely asking me what my observations were. And that was just the transformation piece. It was planned change generally. Then the pandemic forced us to change Mm -hmm. the way we think and see work and workplaces. And then you have now had this whole onslaught of uh, younger people who seem to be uh, generally unreasonable in their expectations around work because they want to work from say in Singapore, they want to work from Bali. You have to be to Bali and just be a digital nomad and stay in some we'll look at the sun rising every day and do your best work. I actually believe you would do your best work there. Right. I, mean, I actually believe that with all the creativity in you, you would probably have that aha moment there rather than sitting in a cubicle typing a report. I mean, right. reports to turn up. Okay. So we're seeing hard skills, when we work with organizations, we're seeing hard skills as reskilling. I mean, you buy a system, you, you put automation in place, you have to reskill some people. And if those people believe that their, their jobs are important, they'll probably want to stay and get reskilled as painful as the process would be second up. That's change management, right? So generally, okay. But the second part is, is soft skills and soft skills has been a very underplayed area. Uh, the way consultants have seen it and HR people have seen it. Soft skills generally are job related. I mean, so in marketing, network sales, in negotiations, you would actually have all those defined soft skills. But there's a whole range of softer skills that people don't pick up the EQ pieces here. That's been a cry out from consultants from the longest time. If you go to LinkedIn, everything's more authentic, compassionate, uh, empathetic. But we are starting to see a third 
frame of skills. The third frame of skills are change skills and respect your appointment. They are actually the new normal, new age skills. I cannot imagine an individual not feeling confident in change skills working in an organization that is actually just changing. Right. That's exactly where we are. And guess what, Matt? This stuff is not taught in schools, which then now makes this even worse for someone coming out of school. Like I said, years ago, when I first joined an organization, I expected and I was given six to nine months of a soft landing apprenticeship. Like, you know, what mm-hmm. you guided around, you got your, there's a manager following you, the projects, you can check in wow. with the person. Hey, hey, you know, I mean, like, you know, what do we do here? You know, what mm-hmm. do you want done here? These days, because these are university graduates and people with college degrees, they're going to walk right into cross-punk. They're going to walk right into vendor conversations. They're going to walk right into working with this other difficult 45-year-old person manager who's, why is this person looking like my father? You know, right. you're going to have, you're going to have all that. And, mm-hmm. and nothing has ever prepared them to do this work in six to nine weeks. So right. that's the compression we are seeing. And it's really, really quite terrifying. Imagine putting yourself in the shoes of a first entrant. It is really terrifying to have to deal with such a destabilizing workplace. And that's pissing a lot of them off, I think. The millennials pissed off. That's mm-hmm. not fair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in, in some, that's the disruptive state of the work. <laughs> Yes. Well, nothing else. You know, we, we're bringing awareness to that one, if you're in a business at whatever level, you may feel like your business is the only one that's changing and that's not true. It's happening no, globally, everywhere. not just nationally, but globally everywhere. Businesses are having to navigate this. No, And I would also say that there is no perfection, right? It's not like you ever dial this, you'd never dial anything in a hundred percent. It's like, but, but striving to be better is the goal, I would imagine, in all of these processes, just striving to be better to accomplish something better versus, I guess, there's no final destination, right? It's an ever-evolving thing. So as an individual, because um, I've worked in and, and led and worked in a lot of organizations, if you don't get comfortable with change or you don't learn how to manage your states through change, you're not going to have a very pleasant existence in this new work arena. You got to realize that whatever happened yesterday or a year or two years ago isn't necessarily where we're at today or where we're headed and learning how to deal with that emotionally, mentally, and then the people around you. That's going to be the difference between succeeding and being successful or getting frustrated and irritated well basically and, and basically living a life of apathy, right? Totally well said. We make that claim quite strongly, the set of change skills that you need to pick up. Uh, mm-hmm. to continue to stay successful and work is real and needed now because this transformation uh, is fast becoming a journey for most organizations mm-hmm. and it's no longer a destination. So so a strategic planning you know, puts a time frame for things we want to do in organizations, but it does not by any means mean that once that's done, the organization would transform. Uh, successfully, it's going to have to keep transforming. It's going to have to keep moving. It's going to, there's people, therefore the organization is going to have to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Those people are going to have to keep moving. The faster you get your change skills and you demonstrate success in more stretch and different projects with flexibility and uncertainty, the more you should be regarded as talent. If not, yeah. some other organization would call it out and pull you away. And, and that's mm-hmm. really where the talent retention problems is right now. 
Right. Yeah. And to your point, that is the talent. I mean, the number one skill I think anybody can have in any organization right now is the ability to navigate change and the ability yeah. to yeah. help in, implement and affect change um, for positive results. Right. I mean, that's going to be Hopefully. where the, that's going to be the, the, I don't even know what to call it, but kind of the new managerial or organizational leadership skill that's going to be the most valuable is going to, is that now, and it will continue to be that. So something I like to end a lot of the shows with is just, you know, we've been looking through a business lens, but I'll open it up for more of a worldview at this point. If we could distill a piece of wisdom that you've learned through your life, through your work, through just living as a human being, what piece of wisdom would you want to impart to others? I have suffered from this for many years, and I have realized this in later years that if there's only time for one thing, it is to ponder over the value of respect for others. Well, nice. That is a crucial leadership belief. It is almost defining character mm -hmm. because if you anchor on that, man, you might be better off learning how to practice humility, which is a leadership practice. Empathy, humility without respect is non-existent. It's actually false. It's inauthentic. So I would go to the word respect and ponder over that quite so seriously for all of us. And I do that as well when I travel. I just I don't turn on screens and airplanes anymore. I actually think about that and what that is and how, how much better I'm getting at that. And I've struggled with it for years. So that would be one key message. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love it. And I, I love asking the question because I always get an answer that I'm not expecting and an answer that adds. I think it's just for me at this point. I think I'm just discern <laughs> discerning wisdom from guests that come on the show. But, but yeah, I really appreciate that. And I too have spent more time thinking about how can I have a positive impact in this person's life, right? How, do, how can I affect something positive in their life or at least be kind, right? Be kind in this situation. Because well, I don't know what, you know, well, I, I know people don't know what's going on inside my head any more than I know what's going on inside their head. So I have no idea what they're dealing with or what they're struggling with in this moment. Totally, totally. Well, how do, how do people get a hold of you? I, I you know, know LinkedIn is, uh, I think you're fairly uh, active on LinkedIn, but where do people get a hold of you? What, what would be the easiest way to, if there, somebody wanted to reach out and talk more about transformational change? I've had several uh, people reach out to me over the year, and I think the easiest way to do that is just drop an email. It's Karuna, K-A-R-U-N-A, at krk.sg. That's it. I, I will, I will krk.sg. Got it. Yes, and, and that's also where the website is and, okay. and where other, the work that we do and the team and everything is there. Well, I appreciate your time today, Doctor. I really do. Thank you for coming on the Bright Vibe podcast. And and uh, thank you for being so thoughtful about how you're addressing things in the world and helping organizations address those same things. So thank you today. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.